Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk to the author of The Politics of Resentment, Rural Consciousness in Wisconsin and the Rise of Scott Walker. The book was published by University of Chicago Press this year, and the author is Catherine Kramer. I have the pleasure to have Catherine Kramer on the phone today to talk. Catherine, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. A timely and interesting book. Before we get to it, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Kathy Kramer. Pretty much everybody calls me Kathy. And I am a professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I also currently have the pleasure of serving as a faculty director of our public service center here. It's called the Morgridge Center for Public Service. Wonderful. Yeah, it's it's um, uh, your your, you know, dipping into these different areas, I think, really does show up in this in this such an interesting book. Um, your book is all about Wisconsin. Um, and so to start us, uh, why this state? Uh, what makes it the right case to examine political resentment? Well, I didn't set out to examine resentment. And honestly, I chose uh, to do my study in Wisconsin because it was convenient and because mm-hmm. I love the state. So um, while I was sprinting for tenure, I dreamed of doing a project on how social class identity influences the way people make sense of politics. And I wanted to design a study so that I could get out and about in Wisconsin, which I've lived in most of my life and wanted to know more about. And at the same time, I was also faculty director of a statewide public opinion poll that we uh, used to do here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So it served a variety of purposes. And when I applied for sabbatical time and grant money uh, from my university to start my study, they said, great. While you're out there, please ask people what they think about the university. So the study um, was uh, about Wisconsin for convenience and to help with this public opinion poll and to help my university understand how people were thinking about it and their attachment to it. Um, And it ended up uh, that as time went on, Wisconsin became politically extremely interesting and sort of ground zero for debates about the appropriate role of government. Now, you also focus uh, in the book within the state of Wisconsin on rural residents, not exclusively, but that's much of the focus of of what you do. Um, You introduce this idea of rural consciousness. Um, Would you tell us a little bit about this idea? Uh, What does this mean exactly? And 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 how is it different from the other identities that a resident of Wisconsin might have? Sure. So I wasn't looking for, um, I wasn't intending to study rural folks in particular, but I, because I was interested in social class identity, I had sampled a wide range of communities to try to get me a wide range of people um, of different socioeconomic backgrounds. And what I was uh, looking for, I'm sure you'll ask me more about this later, but I was looking for groups of people that met regularly kind of 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 their own accord um, that I could invite myself into. 
But what happened is that I ended up spending a lot of time in smaller communities, small towns, rural communities. And what I heard was what I ended up calling this thing rural consciousness. And um, it's basically uh, a resentment toward the cities, but it has uh, several main parts. One is this identity as a rural person, a, a sense that, you know, I am a person from a small town in Wisconsin and, and that identity being very important to people combined with a sense of injustice or distributive injustice. And that injustice had three main parts to it. One is a sense that all the power in the state belongs or is kind of in the cities. We have two main metro areas here, Madison, the state capital, and Milwaukee, which is more of the industrial uh, center of the state. So this, you know, the the distributive in, sense of distributive injustice was partly about where the power is that the decisions are made in Madison and Milwaukee and communicated out to the rest of the state and that there isn't a lot of listening done in reverse so that the smaller part, smaller towns, rural communities in the state don't have a lot of say in the decisions that govern their lives. But then there's two other important parts to the, the sense of injustice, too. And one is a sense that um, public resources are not distributed fairly and that small towns are on the short end of the stick repeatedly. They, they don't get their fair share of taxpayer dollars. And then the final part was a sense that uh, smaller communities don't get their fair share of respect. So there was a sense that city folks, you city folks, that people would say to me, just don't get what rural life is like or what small town life in Wisconsin is like. And there's not a lot of respect for us or what we value or our way of life. Um, you, you city folks just don't get it. Now, let's talk, as you've alluded to so far, about how you did this research. Sure. What type of data did you collect and, and when did you collect it? Well, I call it uh, political ethnography. And what I was doing was observing conversations among people who normally hang out with one another in the places that they normally hang out. So over the course of my career, I've been increasingly interested in political understanding or how people make sense of politics. And I have found over time that the, the best way for me to study that is to listen to people. So survey data are enormously helpful, but I find that when I want to um, not necessarily characterize what a, a broad population of people think, but instead, what are they thinking when they exhibit a certain uh, attitude or certain uh, point of view? Kind of what things are going through their minds as they do that? I found that listening to people talk to their own friends, their own acquaintances, tells me a lot about how they're viewing the world and how they're piecing together the world. So what I did was to sample a wide range of communities in the state. There were 27 municipalities in all uh, in the end. And then I um, would call up a UW uh, extension office. We have 72 counties in the state. And currently there uh, is an extension office in each of those counties. And I would call up the extension office and I would say, where in such and such Wisconsin do people get together on a regular basis that I might be able to invite myself into? And they uh, told me to go to gas stations and diners and McDonald's and churches. And they would say, well, you know, there's so-and-so service station and 
Usually, most weekdays from about 6.30 to 7.30, there'll be a group of people gathered around the coffee urns. <laughs> so I would, you know, drive to such and such Wisconsin and stay in a Super 8 nearby the night before and then early in the morning, drive to a gas station, walk in, say, hi, I'm Kathy from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Do you mind if I join you this morning? <laughs> and they would laugh uh, and invite me in. And I would give them um, a business card and then a token of my appreciation, like a football schedule or pen or a post-it note from the university. And then I would say, oh, and I would also say, do you mind if I turn on my recorder? And uh, typically people did not mind. And then I would say, I study public opinion. I'm really interested in what you think. What are the big concerns around here? And we would go from there. So I asked pointed questions, but as much as possible, I tried to let the conversation go where they wanted it to go so that I could kind of observe and discover what things they thought were related to other things, you know. So in general, my data were um, conversations. Now, your book is a lot about attitudes towards government, uh, especially the desire to shrink the size of government. So do these rural residents that you study, and again, you don't study them exclusively, but the, the rural residents that you interviewed simply dislike government, or, or is the situation a bit more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated. I think there, there I mean, people, there are many people in many areas of Wisconsin, as well as the nation, who dislike government, right? Are, and if you look at, you know, level of trust in Congress, for example, there's quite a few of us who think that government is a little bit uh, off the rails at the moment. But what I found is that people had a pretty complex understanding of why they didn't want to pay higher taxes, why they didn't want more government programs, and why they thought public employees were getting more than their fair share. And it, in the way I understood it, a lot of it was rooted in this perspective of rural consciousness, where people saw themselves as residents of a type of place that was in pretty significant decline and that their economies were um, facing really hard times. And this is even before the Great Recession really set in. And people perceived that, you know, whatever government is doing, it's not uh, working in our favor. And so in that respect, perhaps it was sort of a blanket disregard for government. But it was more complex in that, um, for example, some of the, the storylines that they had for themselves sounded like this, where they would say things like, it's not that we're opposed to government spending, or it's not that we're opposed to um, government programs in general, and that's my paraphrasing, um, but you know, if we if we're asked to pay higher taxes and we pay in more money for education, for example, that money isn't going to come back to our community. It's not going to benefit us. So why would we ever want that? Why would we ever agree to pay higher taxes? Why would we ever want more government? So that's one one way it came out. Yeah. Now, your book is also about your governor. Uh, Scott Walker uh, is central to particularly the second half of the book. Uh, tell us a little bit about Scott Walker. Did rural voters support uh, his various elections? And and what about Act 10? What is the what has been the role of the, the people that you study in, in this um, controversial and pretty significant part of policymaking in the state? Sure. 
So Scott Walker, when I started my study in 2007, was uh, executive of Milwaukee County. And very few of us knew much about him. If you lived in the Milwaukee area, you did, of course. But the rest of the state, we were pretty unfamiliar with him. And then he ran for governor in 2010 and um, won. And so he took office in early 2011 and right away, pretty much right away, proposed this controversial legislation, Act 10. And Act 10 is a, a Public Employee Collective Bargaining Act. It was actually a budget sort of stopgap measure. But what it did was to basically outlaw most public unions. Um, and it's more complicated than that, but that's the shorthand. And it also required most public employees to pay more of their paychecks into their health care benefits and pensions. And so it was hugely controversial and um, pretty quickly uh, resulted in massive protests at our state capitol for months. And um, support for Scott Walker was pretty strong in what we call, many of us call, outstate Wisconsin, which is the um, the areas beyond the Madison, Milwaukee metro metropolitan area. So it's the, you know, the more rural part of the state. And um, it was strong in the, the gubernatorial race of 2010, even stronger in a recall election in 2012. And then in 2014, in his reelection um, campaign, again, those parts of the state uh, were very strong behind Scott Walker. And one way, um, that you can see rural consciousness working in this respect is that um, people, uh, many people expressed to me some version of the following. And that is, you know, Kathy, I uh, am working my rear off to make ends meet. And um, oftentimes it, this would come from people doing manual labor. You know, it felt like physically they were just exhausted um, from years of doing this kind of work and working multiple jobs to try to make ends meet for themselves and or their families. And um, we don't have health care. We can't afford health care, they would tell me. And here I am working my butt off and my taxes keep going up. And I'm supposed to work so hard to pay for health care benefits for public employees, most of whom sit behind desks all day. That doesn't make sense to me. That's extremely unfair and so good for Scott Walker coming in and telling the, the public employees that they have to, you know, pay in a little bit more because I'm tired of putting the bill for people to have health care when I can't even afford it for myself. Now, I wonder when you think about this, this relationship between uh, the governor and, and these sentiments among some portion of the electorate in Wisconsin, how aware Scott Walker is of this resentment? I'm very interested in the sort of interplay between what what uh, what voters think and how uh, candidates and elected officials perceive those views. Yeah. Do you have any sense of of how this works back and forth? Has he been yeah. instrumental in in uh, fanning the flames or is he simply sort of reflecting what he gathers as the underlying views of those that are most likely to support him? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would really love to have a conversation with him. It's probably it uh, would be very difficult to achieve. But um, it's I, I really can't say whether, you know, this is someone who perceives these sentiments and is um, 
taking advantage of them or it's someone who perceives these things and, you know, himself and feels this unfairness himself. And so, you know, uh, it, uh, who knows? But I do know he's a very savvy politician and he is has been very adept at, t- at tapping into these sentiments. And I'll give you two examples of how that worked in um, the 2010 gubernatorial campaign. Part of his rhetoric while running for office was that public employees are the haves and private employees are the have nots and that we need to bring to an end, you know, this, the manner in which public employees are um, getting an unfair share. So that taps directly into these sentiments, right, about distributive injustice. But he also tapped into specifically this kind of mental map of who has the power and who's getting the resources uh, particularly around an issue involving involving a high-speed um, train line. The previous governor, or the sitting governor at the time of the 2010 election, was a Democrat by the name of Jim Doyle, and he had um, successfully uh, um, obtained $810 million from the federal government to build a high-speed train line between the two metro areas, Madison and Milwaukee. And Scott Walker said on the campaign trail, you know, if I become governor, we are not taking that money because that is taxpayer money. That's hard earned taxpayer money. And that is money that is not going to fix the roads that go up to West Salem or through the cutout up to Black River Falls and named all these, you know, very sort of outstate, small communities in the state. And he said, you know, that is money that's only going to serve those two areas, Madison and Milwaukee. So that's one example of the way you could see him tapping into that sentiment that, you know, Madison, Milwaukee get everything. And it's about time we put a stop to it and divert some of those resources elsewhere. Now, in the conclusion to the book, you you try to make some sense of the central puzzle of the book, which is is uh, in some ways why certain voters support a smaller government that might make life harder for them. Right. Um, where are you at the end of the book on figuring out this puzzle? What 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 have you figured out that that you you maybe didn't understand fully uh, at the start? One thing is that it's really not smart to say how can people be so stupid because oftentimes that that puzzle gets communicated that way, right? It's, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in a more charitable fashion, people say, how can people vote against their interests? Well, what I heard from years and, you know, dozens, nearly a 100 conversations with people was people were spending a lot of energy making these pretty sophisticated um, interpretations of the world and giving me all kinds of reasons for why they wouldn't want more government. And to me, that's just that's not stupidity. It may be a very different perspective than people who are more left leaning, but uh, it's not stupidity. So that's one thing I learned to try to caution, you know, myself and others from just kind of um, dismissing views in favor of small government as as a lack of intelligence. Um, The other thing I learned, though, is that. Many of these arguments about why we should want 
less government were rooted in resentment and resentment towards public employees, resentment towards people in the cities, toward people of color. And I just find that to be very disturbing. And it's, it's, it's especially disturbing given where I started with this project, which is I wanted to study public opinion in Wisconsin because I find the people of the state to be delightful. And, you know, I grew up here and biased in that respect, but um, it's been very sobering to me to see how widespread resentment is in this state and the manner in which our politicians um, are making arguments to us kind of on the backs of our fellow citizens as opposed to on the merits of policy. And much to my surprise, I would like to say I was, you know, so smart that I saw this coming, but this that, that manner of resentment is all over this presidential campaign. And, you know, Donald Trump is probably the most blatant example, but, you know, this um, making arguments about you're right, you're not getting your fair share, and it's all their fault, whether it's immigrants or Muslims or women or what have you. Um, I just don't, I just don't see how we actually have democracy. If that's the, the nature of our political rhetoric, because in my mind, um, yes, I know we have a representative democracy, but at some level, we democracy is about us governing each other. And unless we are making our choices on the basis of um, what's going to lift us all up, um, I just, it's not a great future ahead of us. Yeah. The, um, the book, again, is The Politics of Resentment, Rural Consciousness in Wisconsin and the Rise of Scott Walker, published by the University of Chicago Press this year and available, I'm sure, at their website. Kathy Kramer, thank you so much for your book and your interesting talk today. Thank you so much, Heath. It's really a pleasure to be on your show.